0: Baristas at a Starbucks cafe located on the campus of Marquette University have announced their intention to unionize joining a group of seven other locations in the state of Wisconsin.
1: The understanding of that like collective action is the way through which workers improve their conditions, that that's gotten all the way into Wells Fargo offices, I think tells us a lot about the cultural shift that the current labor upsurge is really making in the U.S.
2: I think it's just a great first step and maybe they're the first out of the gate and it's going to be a great year for banking workers in general.
3: And If your steward tells you to shut up, <laughs> shut up. Don't, don't start talking and confessing all your sins uh, that aren't even on the playlist.
4: The ITUC has uh, consistently listed the Philippines in in its past uh, seven years of research as one of the most dangerous countries for workers to live in.
5: And the story fascinated me because it's really a testament to the type of work that I enjoy doing in the movement, which is the coalition building, bringing the various parts of the movement together and, and folks outside of the movement into it as well.
6: You're listening to the Labour Radio Podcast Weekly, produced by the Labour Radio Podcast Network, labourradionetwork.org. I'm Patrick Dixon. On today's show, Starbucks workers organise on the campus of Marquette University in Wisconsin, the fight for union representation by Wells Fargo workers in Albuquerque, New Mexico and Bethel, Alaska, what to do when UPS management calls you into the office, extrajudicial killings of trade unionists in the Philippines, and remembering the Coors boycott 50 years later. This week's featured shows are WORT, Labour Radio on 99.9 FM in Madison, Wisconsin, Work Stoppage, a weekly show covering Labour news from the US and around the world from a revolutionary left perspective, America's Workforce Radio, the daily union podcast out of Cleveland, Ohio. Roswell Hub, a show made by Teamsters members for Teamsters members. Stick Together from 3CR and the Community Radio Network in Melbourne, Australia. And Working Voices, which airs weekly on KPFK 97.7 FM in Los Angeles. That's all ahead on this week's edition of the Labour Radio Podcast Weekly. Here's the show. (laughs) All right. <laughs>
3: Welcome to Madison Labor Radio.
7: Workers at Starbucks in Milwaukee have joined other Starbucks in organizing. Sean Hagerup has the details.
0: Baristas at a Starbucks cafe located on the campus of Marquette University. Have announced their intention to unionize with Starbucks Workers United, joining a group of seven other locations in the state of Wisconsin who have also attempted to gain the union's representation. In addition to the cafes in Wisconsin, the Marquette location's partners join a sweeping campaign that has unionized hundreds of locations across the country. According to More Perfect Unions, since 2021, more than 374 Starbucks stores in 43 states including Washington, D.C., have successfully joined Starbucks Workers United. The Marquette location, which is located at the corner of 16th Street and West Wisconsin Avenue, made the announcement late in December after a petition had been filed with the National Labor Relations Board. A letter sent to Starbucks CEO Loxman Narasimhan as a part of the Partners' campaign announcement stated, quote, Our cafe has long provided a unique place for students, businesses, and community to gather in a space that is safe and respectful to all quote, unfortunately, the seams have split and we can no longer provide the service to our community due to gross mismanagement and mistreatment within our walls, end quote, the letter continued, quote, we cannot craft the Starbucks standard of beverages when our tools are in constant disrepair and the absence of necessary items is being ignored. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Sean Hagerup.
2: That's what I say.
8: everyone my name is john i'm dan and i'm lena we discussed the move by workers at wells fargo branches in new mexico and alaska which i thought was interesting to unionize and we've already got some results so on wednesday december the 20th we saw workers at the albuquerque branch vote five to three in favor of joining the cwa as wells fargo workers united this is the first union win at a major bank in decades and workers hope That it will inspire others around the country to join them. We heard from Sabrina Perez, one of the many workers in Albuquerque, saying in a statement, quote, Our victory today is the first of many to come. Despite Wells Fargo's aggressive attempts to dissuade us, we are igniting a fire and showing our colleagues across the industry that not only is change possible, it is within reach, end quote. And since their initial announcement, two other locations in Atwater, California, and Daytona Beach, Florida, have also filed to join the CWA. These are all like party towns, aren't they? <laughs> well, I was thinking like they've really like created uh, almost like a bullseye. Like you have the far north, we've got the, the south of the United States, oh. and then you've got the west and the southeast. I they, mean, they just it's... need they need a
1: they need a store in Gary, Indiana yeah and and a store in
8: bangor maine yeah
1: <laughs> and then they'll have the whole area covered with That's like, right. uh mid mid to small cities
6: <laughs> i mean bangor not a city
1: but uh no i mean this is this is one of those things where i feel like this sort of story some people from maybe our end of the political spectrum might be a bit less uh eager to cover because it's in the financial sector and of course Certainly, of all of the fields that should be nationalized, the banks are one of the first. Um, But I think it's an important bellwether because it's just like, look, the banks have just an absolutely unfathomable amount of money and capital, which are quite the same. Um, And yet, (laughs) the penetration of union consciousness among workers has gotten so far that even workers at bank branches And yes, of course, bank tellers are not the same thing as like people who are doing like wealth management. But the fact that, you know, the push for a union, the understanding that like collective action is the way through which workers improve their conditions, that that's gotten all the way into Wells Fargo offices, I think tells us a lot about the cultural shift that the current labor upsurge is really making in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. it's,
8: it's kind of interesting because for a second, you're like, wait, you want to unionize the Lehman Brothers? Right, right, But it's right. like you know, it's not exactly that. And you know, a lot of people who do work in finance or banking are just like low-level employees and mm-hmm. are not paid, you know, enough to survive. And aren't in that industry because they're career criminals like their bosses, but because right. it was the best job available.
1: Yeah, like the 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 person who is helping you, uh, who's the teller at your local Wells Fargo branch, is not like. The rep is not a physical manifestation of a representation of finance capital any more than a warehouse worker at Amazon is a physical representation of Jeff
8: Bezos. (laughs) No, they're like a barista for money. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah, kind (laughs) of.
1: And honestly, you know, some overlap in their conditions as service workers. So, Mm I
8: mean, both have
1: to deal with you know the worst type of human being, the customer.
8: Oh, and especially in <laughs> banking, you have to deal with the small business owner, which has got to yes. be a nightmare unto oh. itself. <laughs> I know. It's, it, it, I don't even want to think about it. But <laughs> another thing I don't want to think about is that, unfortunately, the same day um, that we we saw this advancement for the workers in Albuquerque, the workers in Bethel, Alaska withdrew their election petition after union busting at the store, made it clear to organizers that the election would not be successful. The NLRB recently agreed with ULP's filed by workers at Wells Fargo call centers, including one in Hillsboro, Oregon, where managers tore down union flyers from break rooms and threatened pro-union workers with discipline. So there is already kind of an awareness that this pattern of behavior is happening at the NLRB but also like if you were if you're at the NLRB you should know that this pattern of behavior is just every employer ever I, yeah. in American history <laughs> and i think that legally there's an important argument for pulling an election because it's mm-hmm. i believe and th- it, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong and if you really know this better than I do, but if you lose the election, you have to wait a year to refile. Yes. But if you pull your election, you could refile in three months, six months once yeah. you've regained your footing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, and also I know that when we first talked about this story, the sto- the conditions in Bethel, Alaska were definitely very unique because they pointed out that it's like they actually make decent money, but that's not – like. But that's only when you compare it to here because the cost of living in Bethel, Alaska is so incredibly high. Yeah, people are paying have
8: $16 like... for a head of broccoli because yeah, they can't it... grow it anywhere near there. Exactly.
1: They have to, like, fly in all their groceries and stuff. So it was this weird thing where if you just looked at the salary and compared it with everywhere else, you'd be like, why would these people possibly need a union? And it's like... Well, like you said, it's like if every trip to the grocery store is $300, like Mm -hmm. a slightly higher salary is going to get eaten up real fast. But so but I am I'm sure also that that creates a very I mean, it's certainly a a unique organizing environment because it's also got like everybody is kind of got and I have to imagine kind of knows everybody could. Mm -hmm. You're not really going a lot of places.
0: <laughs>
8: I mean, I don't know a lot about Bethel, but Alaska has one city where like 95% of the residents all live in the same apartment building. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, yeah, that, like the, the, the U.S. attempt at like uh, 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 one of those like giant uh, apartment buildings that Khrushchev built a million of in the 60s. <laughs> now, back to Ed Flash Ferencz
9: with America's Workforce. Welcome a longtime sponsor, and that would be the CWA on behalf of Frank Matthews. Communication Workers of America, CWA-Union. dot Let's talk about organizing. Last year, as you well know, was a banner year for for unions. A lot of strike activity, a lot of wages going up because of those strikes. And uh, one of the stories that I referenced at the beginning of the show is the Wells Fargo. This is out of uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, where workers there were talking about. Uh, the bank tellers and some of the employees, I said, they were, they've were they been taken advantage of at Wells Fargo. And the pay at banks is a notoriously low. So they have become the first ever Wells Fargo workers to unionize. And they're unionizing with the CWA. In fact, they, they crafted a special, I guess this would be a, a subsidiary, if you want to call it that, Wells Fargo Workers United. Talk to me about this, Frank. That's pretty exciting
2: oh it's very exciting you know we uh i can remember a decade ago um being in discussions just about the just how especially around banking the 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 low pay the understaffing uh, and and overall general mismanagement uh of, of of banking and 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 the banking industry and and how those folks were, were kind of being left behind. Well, not so much now, uh, this Wells Fargo group out of Albuquerque, they're our first group. And, um, you're right. They, they, they've got this group called Wells Fargo workers United. Um, there's also, they're also partnering with a group called committee for better banks and they've got a really, really nice Facebook page. If folks want to reach out to that to learn more, um, you know, and, and, and they voted to join, you know, CWA and the WFWU, uh, the Wells Fargo Workers United, um, here recently. And despite a very, very aggressive anti-union campaign from Wells Fargo, uh, these folks are basically taking a stand and drawing a line in the sand and saying that, that you know, we're not going to be oppressed any longer. And um, I think it's just a great first step and and maybe they're the first out of the gate and it's gonna be a great year for, for the bank, banking workers in general.
9: Frank Matthews on behalf of the Communication Workers of America, again, national website, cwa-union.org. What is going on everybody?
10: So today I have Greg Kerwood out of Local 25 in Boston and Norman out of Local 623 in Philadelphia. And we're gonna be talking about how to handle yourself when you're being discharged. And for those who did not know, Norman is a business agent out of Philadelphia in 63. So let's kick into it. Now, we kind of lump these into three uh, reasons why management would pull you in the office, right? So let's get into the first one, which would be the petty discipline. Now, Greg, let's say I get in trouble for petty discipline and I get pulled in the office. What do I have to expect?
3: Well, I think the the first thing is to make sure that uh, your steward knows what it's all about before you go in there, um, so you're not walking in cold to something. Um, in general, if it's uh, some of the BS discipline that the company does, uh, you know, it may be something that you did that is in fact wrong, it could be attendance issues, uh, you know, it could be failure to sheet a package or something. Uh, but if you did what you did, you did it. Um, and you don't want to go in there and dig the hole deeper. Um, so you want to go in, be prepared. Um, usually, if management isn't serious, they're just handing out warning letters like candy. Uh, it's a it's a pretty cut and dry thing, uh, unless you make it worse. Um, so you know you want to make sure that your steward gives you uh, you know an idea of what you're going into. And if your steward tells you to uh, you know shut up, <laughs> shut up, don't don't start talking and confessing all your sins uh, that you know aren't even on the playlist so
10: let's get into number two which is discharges you're being pulled in the office for something you may have done as a member what do i have to expect being pulled in the office as a discharged
11: brief answers and leave your answers open-ended you're not being deceitful or you're not trying to be untruthful by leaving your answer open-ended don't say okay i gave it to the woman with the blue hair at the red desk it might've been an orange desk with with, when she had green hair, but these are little things that I've run into time and time again, when a company says, oh, you said this, but you meant this, or no, you said this and it was this, you know, so leave it open ended and everything should be to the best of my recollection. You don't want to fall on an altar and confessing all of your sins. No. Do you know why you're here? No. What's up? Okay. Well, tell me about your day yesterday and your next question should be okay. First, you should have union representation. The second question should be, if this is going to lead any way, lead to discipline, you know, invoke your Weingarten rights. You don't want to tell them something that they don't know, because they, if obviously they don't have enough. They don't know enough, but they want you to confess something and say, hey, that's what you did. That's what we have you here for. You confess to it. Now I'm going to discipline you. You know, it's nothing wrong with saying, okay, I don't know why I'm here. Well, tell me about your day yesterday. I came to work. I worked safe. I went home. I did my job to the best of my recollection and leave it right there. Now let's get into the false discharges. That's
10: number three. Uh, You know, management oftentimes will make up stuff on members to get them discharged. Maybe they don't like their production. Maybe they just don't like certain characteristic about them. I don't know. But I've seen it a number of times in my career where somebody has been falsely discharged, and they've been held out for months on end, and then they get back pay on their discharge. So I'm going to throw it to Greg first. With a false discharge, what do you have to expect when you get pulled in the office?
3: Uh, With a false discharge, uh, it's probably going to be some stupid thing that makes no sense. Uh, Again, your steward should have a heads up. I think the biggest thing for a member in that situation is not to lose your cool. Um, They're going to call you names. They're going to throw accusations, total falsehoods. Uh, It's going to be a major blow to your sense of integrity. that's not the time to defend yourself uh just let them spout their bs uh and and you know have your steward witness everything and then you take it and you walk out the door and you file your grievance and you fight another day
11: norm
10: is there anything you'd like to
11: add to that hey once again greg said it all but i just want to caution everyone the the company will trip you up they'll call you on your cell phone and say hey i want you to do this or I want you to do that or you know they'll do something outside of the normal chain of communication. Don't do any favors for the company. You're not doing a favor. They're not your friend. Everything that they say if you think is wrong, it's wrong. If they can't communicate it through the diet, don't do it and that ties directly into the false discharges that Greg was just talking about because no supervisor, manager, part-time to PDS, ODS, nobody's gonna take the blame for you for something they told you to do and you can't prove that they said it. No, they're not gonna say, oh, I told him to do X and I knew it was wrong, so terminate me instead of him. No, protect yourself at all times.
7: Today, Giselle Hannah here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues from a worker's perspective. Welcome back to another year of workers' struggle and union... Red tagging has been used for decades in the Philippines in the government's campaign against the communist New People's Army, which began in 1969. The government's counter-insurgency efforts include publicly accusing activists, journalists and trade unionists of being directly involved in the fighting or supporting of the MPA. The Philippine military has long been responsible for large numbers of extrajudicial killings and torture of alleged communists. Red tagging continued under successive Philippine governments, including Gloria Arroyo, Benigno Aquino, Rodrigo Duterte, and now today, Bongbong Marcos Jr. My guest today is Elmer Labog, the General Secretary of the Kilosang Mayo Uno, the militant trade union federation in the Philippines. He's discussing the latest in their campaign to end the extrajudicial killings of trade unionists.
4: The latest the uh, victim of uh, extrajudicial execution which uh, took place last September 29 is a veteran KMU organi- organizer uh, Jude Tadeus Fernandez no he was uh, he was uh, being presented a uh, an arrest warrant and that uh, the usual narrative of the police is that the uh, uh, he fought back, or in the uh, in the uh, slang of, uh, of Filipinos here, it means that uh, uh it, it it's called nanlaban, no? Or he fought back, so they they usually use this uh, excuse to uh, eliminate their victims uh, easily without uh, uh without really uh any any mercy uh towards their uh. Their victims, and uh, quite uh, surely, uh, Jude Fernandez was gunned down right uh, in his uh, in his house, and that uh, uh, the the uh, narrative of the uh, police that uh, Jude fought back is uh, a a blatant lie, as there were no uh, signs of commotion or 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 uh, noises that were. Noise that were heard from his house by uh, their neighbors. So uh, obviously, the the operation was indeed a clear case of uh, of a premeditated murder, uh, bordering into the uh, case of uh, extrajudicial killing. Even uh, after, uh, even so, the uh, uh, the ITUC has consistently listed the Philippines in in its past uh, seven years of research as one of the most dangerous countries for workers to live in. You know? And that the uh, unionist activist organizers and uh, the general public are suppressed uh, in order to uh, to deter their campaigns for minimal meaningful wage increases, a family living wage to uh, come up with the... Uh, existing family living wage which is equivalent to 20 US dollars a day and the current highest minimum wage because uh, in a regionalized uh, setup is only the equivalent of 11 uh, 11 US dollars and 70 cents so uh, we are still struggling for uh, wages that would really be uh, appropriate for the ever-increasing rate of inflation especially where the uh, prices of uh, uh, oil and petroleum products keeps rising up every uh uh tuesday of the week so uh, uh it, this is a major uh, a major uh, struggle that we're carrying out as uh, the uh, united uh, or, or the ilo has pointed out that uh uh, the wage struggle is a common uh, struggle for all workers worldwide as uh, the uh, ever-increasing rate of inflation hits uh, uh, strongly against the uh, the capacity, the purchasing capacity of workers uh, in, in every part of the
7: globe. My name's Giselle Hanna. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. And until next time, stick together and keep safe.
5: forever
2: set the dog on the two stone. If you're living underneath
9: the bridge, man, all roads lead to home. I got a hidden flask, I'm paid in cash, got a cross above my bed. You know, I hitchhiked from Chicago, and a man walked up and said, This is a union town, a union. T-.
10: This is Dan McCrory for Working Voices talking to Zocarinas. He is a team teamster on a local 223, a trustee and a local labor representative for the Oregon Nurses Association. Good morning, Tizok.
5: Good morning. How are you?
10: Okay, so uh, you mentioned that there's some stuff you're working on independently. Would you care to share?
5: Yeah, um, so as you can see on my my little icon, my little avatar there, yeah, it's a picture of Harvey Milk and my mentor, Alan Baird. Uh, in the past few years, I've had the the opportunity and pleasure of of meeting Alan, who was uh, the director of the Coors Boycott um, for the Teamsters in Northern California back in 1973 to 75. And you know, we've built a relationship, I was able to meet Alan, actually through Cleve Jones, um, Harvey Milk's uh, right hand man during the 70s. Um, And the story fascinated me because it's really a testament to the type of work that I enjoy doing in the movement which is the coalition building um you know bringing the various parts of the movement together and and folks outside of the movement into it as well um so what we did this last year in 2023 is we had um it was 50 years from when this original boycott first started which actually originated with a beer strike in northern california in 1973 and throughout that Uh, contract campaign. It evolved into uh, one of the several iterations of the Coors Boycott, um, and that one being in Northern California at the time. Uh, So we did a celebration uh, in the East Bay, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we did some history on the topic. We had some folks uh, speak about their personal experiences in the beer strike and the boycott. And this year, we're tentatively planning to do, or this coming year, In 2024, we're tentatively planning to do another event, um, hopefully this time in the Castro District in the San Francisco Bay Area. And we're still sort of putting together uh, what that event's going to look like. But I think it'll be more celebration-based as the first one was very uh, historical and and background-based. Well, it's interesting
10: because I grew up, when I grew up, went to high school in Colorado. We were led to believe that that was the origin of the course boycott
5: and it is and it really is um you know it starts back as as far back as the 1950s the late 50s wow. um with a contract campaign that started there and and an original you know one of the original boycotts originated from that 1950s contract campaign conflict uh and then subsequently the chicano community in the late 1960s takes a hold of the boycott through the um uh, American G.I. Forum and Lulock, and then eventually it evolves further um, into the San Francisco Bay Area fight. So this is like, you know, what we're celebrating is like this third iteration of the boycott that doesn't even it doesn't even really begin with Coors necessarily. It begins with a group of uh, beer distributors that are actually the uh, the parties that were in that the Teamsters were in conflict with. But the thing that turned it into a Coors boycott iteration was that Coors locally um, became the aggressor as part of those beer distributor uh, as part of that beer distributor campaign? Right. So, in other words, they were putting a lot of pressure locally on beer distributors uh, to hire armed guards to overall instigate uh, conflict with the beer drivers and really make an attempt to decertify as many uh, barns that the teamsters had organized in that area and to some degree they were successful. Um, but we were able to overall, you know, keep the boycott alive, salvage many of those units that were under attack at that point. But it became very clear that Coors was the aggressor amongst all of the beer companies that were involved.
8: That was uh, Dan McCrory speaking with Tizoc Arenas, uh, when the, the, with the teamsters movement about the uh, 50th anniversary commemoration of the Coors strike
6: that's all we've got for this week's edition of the labour radio podcast weekly just a small sample of the amazing programs aired last week on more than 100 labour radio shows and podcasts they're all part of the labour radio podcast network shows that focus on working people's issues and concerns We've got links to all the network shows at labourradionetwork.org and you can find them by using the hashtag LabourRadioPod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Labour Radio Podcast Weekly was edited this week by myself, Patrick Dixon, produced by Chris Garlock and our social media guru is Harold Phillips. For Labour Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Patrick Dixon. Stay tuned to Labour Radio Shows and Podcasts in all their many varied forms.